0: You. I love you. I love you. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. You can be seated. Quit there. <laughs> good evening, everybody. Now, I told pastor I went over this morning, so I'm gonna make up for it tonight. So hang with me here. Second Timothy, look at second Timothy here in the new Testament. We'll give you something to feed on. This is going to help you this year. I'm gonna give you something you can start doing. Talk to you like I talk to my kids. It'll be real good. Uh, the word of God. One of the things I learned about being a school administrator years ago was uh, teaching high school kids, working with high school kids. High school kids are a curious bunch. Uh, They're always asking questions. And uh, and I don't care what you think, they're listening, okay, whether they're talking or not, they're listening. Why don't you look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, reading from the New Living Translation. Let's talk about the Word of God here for just a minute, how important this is. 2 Timothy 3, 15, Paul's talking to his son of the faith, Timothy, and he says this to him. Verse 15, he says, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us what to do is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Isn't that good? Just one more time. Now listen. You've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. That's why it's important you have parents teaching kids in the next generation. The devil will let us play church if so we can get the next generation. It's always real patient waiting on the next generation. He says this. From childhood, and those scriptures you have known from a kid have given you the wisdom to receive. I said this morning, you don't earn salvation, you receive it. It's already been purchased, but do you receive it? You know, it's the same we talk about people wake up in hell every day, shocked that they're there, they didn't want to go, they just didn't choose to go to heaven. It is something you have to go appropriate by faith. The Christian life, it is a relationship. It's a little different than being married, working for somebody. When there's a relationship, two people have to engage each other. God loves mankind. He likes hanging out with us, talking to us, us talking to him. He likes that. Life's not very good if you don't have any good relationships. Quality of relationships are no accident. If you have great relationships, somebody's doing something on purpose. It's something you have to chase, something you have to pursue. He says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You know, nobody likes to be got on to, but you do like to be told the truth. Now I know we've all had those moments where somebody's got onto us, whether it was a parent and we were a kid or boss and we were an employee. And somebody correct us, and you get embarrassed, or you get mad, you get upset, but you realize they just told you the truth. People love you. They tell you the truth. People that don't, don't love you, that's what God says. It's because I love you that I discipline you with my words, because I love you. I don't want you to stay stupid. He said, but if I didn't love you, I'd let you do whatever you wanted to do it's because I love you. That's why the Bible says judgment starts at the house of God. It starts with the family first. When I'm out in public, I don't get onto other people's kids. They get on mine. Well, they're getting away with it. They're not my kids. You are. You're not going to do that. We're going to do this. And it's like the standard. It's different. It says it corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us to equip people to do every good work. Now, Second Peter kind of keeps the same kind of thing. Second Peter chapter 1, it's up into verse 20, verse 21. It said, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This is God's word to us to let us know what it is He thinks about us. That's why when Jesus showed up, people were somewhat stunned about what He said. They were amazed when He would come and teach. Philip one time got real upset with Jesus and he said, Jesus, I don't understand. You know, we've heard about the great God, the Yahweh, whose name we're not even allowed to say. You know, you're talking about like it's a father thing, the father this. I only do what the father tells me to or do or do what the father shows me to do. I only say what the father tells me to say. He said, what's all this father talk? What is this? Father? I had no concept of a father relationship. God's a great God. He's scary and he'll get you if you don't do what's right. Well, Jesus comes along with this father thing about a relationship. And he said, and Philip said, we don't understand this father thing. What is, what is this father? And Jesus kind of got upset. He said, have you been with me all this time and you don't know the father? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He said when i fed five thousand happy meals on the hillside the other day did i ask any questions i mean did you have to qualify to get a meal did you have to bring a food stamp did you have to sign up or fill out a form ask questions did you have to tell me how many times you've been to the tabernacle if you paid your tithes how many people did i feed philip said you fed all of them he said if you've seen me you've seen the father when we healed all that were oppressed of the devil on the hillside, when 30,000 people showed up, and I healed all that were oppressed of the devil. How many did I heal? Philip said, you healed all of them. Did I ask any questions? Did he fill out any Medicare, Medicaid forms, any historical forms? Did I ask for your background if you had any insurance and how much it paid? How many people did I heal? Philip said, you healed them all. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The reason God left this is because most of mankind thinks God's after us. Even the insurance companies put terms of a tornado in Oklahoma is an act of God. Now State Farm, it's in my policy. Floods are acts of God. Hurricanes are acts of God. No, they're not. They're acts of the devil. They're not acts of God. That's what God got upset in Malachi. I said, your words have been stout against me. You say, what good does it do to serve God? What good does it do to pay tithe, to give offerings? He said, your words are stout against me. Not even just your actions. Your mouth is against what I'm trying. I'm trying to be good. You won't even believe it. You won't believe what I'm telling you. The reason he left this is so we know the truth. People were burned at the stake trying to put this in print. You know, I'm going to just one time I'm coming to tell you how we got this, how we got the English version of the Bible. It is an incredible, miraculous story. This book did not just show up. Now, if you translate from... From Greek, from Hebrew, man, you know, you know, if they translate Hebrew, it's all capital letters. And there's no, there's, there's no commas there. There's no words. It's just, it's just one letter after another. I mean, it's like, dear Lord, what does that say? You know, you come on, then we have v- words and chapters and verses. We got vowels A E O U that was not in any of that. You know, unless you had somebody that was Jewish, you didn't even know how to pronounce the word. It's like, what does that say? It's a miracle. We got this. You know, we got the Homer and the Odyssey and the Iliad. We got things we read and school all the time. You know how many manuscripts we've got for the Odyssey? Two. We had two manuscripts for that. We think it's true. Two people wrote about it. Yet yeah, people challenged the quality of this right here. And for the New Testament alone, we have over 28,000 manuscripts, handwritten. There were no kinkos. They didn't make copies. And yet it's the same scripture. You know, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, Isaiah, same as it was 3,000 years ago, God has watched over this to preserve it so we would know the truth so that it would set us free. You know how precious this word is? It's incredible, the preciousness of this word. When I was a kid, we'd always go. My father worked swing shifts at DuPont Nylon Company in Chattanooga, and he'd get a long weekend once a month. And I always loved it every year around Christmas time. His long weekend would show up, we would drive from Chattanooga, Tennessee, up to Ducktown, Tennessee, to be with uh, my grandmother and my family. My dad would go up, and his dad had died, so we'd go up, he'd paint the house, take care of the furnace, or whatever grandma needed while we were up there for the weekend. But at Christmas time, we would go out to my mom's parents' house. And uh, her dad lived out in Turtletown, which was a suburb of Ducktown. It's a bedroom community four miles away. And there's one store there, Nichols, Nicholson's Country Store, and that's where he bought gasoline and bread and kerosene and horse feed and Little Debbie's. If you needed it, he had it. That was where everything was. Post office was in there. Get a flat fixed there. It was all one, It was a one-stop deal. It was Walmart before there was Walmart nicholson's country store they had uh, two kinds of ice cream chocolate and vanilla 25 cents for a double scoop the day we got strawberry the whole community went into an uproar it was incredible it was just wild because now there's strawberry we would never seen strawberry ice cream ever you got to say this is before baskin robbins mcdonald's it's like oh my gosh it's pink it's pink ice cream well and then we see it through the glass window we just don't know if we're going to like it so we're trying to get him to give us, I wanted one scoop of chocolate and one scoop of the pink stuff. That way, if I don't like the pink stuff, I can knock it off, at least have one scoop of chocolate. But but Mr. Nicholson wouldn't integrate the ice cream. He wouldn't mix it up because he didn't have a fancy water scoop to keep all the, you know, separate from one another. So you can only get two scoops of one kind of vanilla chocolate strawberry. I thought, what if I get two scoops of that pink and I don't like it? You know what I And when he was yelling at us, it was just a big uproar. But I love the long weekend because we'd always go up to my grandfather's out to Turtletown for Christmas. We'd all go out on Christmas Eve day, and all the family would be there, big family. And uh, my grandfather owned a farm in Turtletown. It's the end of a long two-mile dirt road. Uh, if you go to a topographical map, Tennessee, go Google it. If you look for Kimsey Mountain, at the foot of Kimsey Mountain is my grandfather's farm, 483-acre farm there and a uh, two-story house. He had about 80 acres of you know, pasture land that the government paid us not to grow anything on. It's just a really good deal. You get money to not do nothing. It's an incredible God kind of a thing. Not. (laughs) Anyhow, but he had timber and, and big mountains and streams. And we had some milk cows. We'd go up there and, and for Christmas Eve, there was no, you didn't go buy a tree. You cut one. Who in their right mind bought a Christmas tree? Only a heathen bought a Christmas tree. You go cut your Christmas tree. So, we get there, Christmas Eve. The family's there. The women are cooking. No heat in that house. He had uh, two fireplaces and two potbelly stoves. Two story house. We would go to sleep some nights upstairs in the bedroom and take a glass of water because it's a long way to the well house out there. So take what. And I remember waking up some morning, sleeping out there, and my water, and my glasses froze next to my bed. I'm not making that up like, man, thank you, Jesus. You getting up? Nobody's getting up. It's too cold. We're staying right here. And I remember we were out there and we'd go there on Christmas Eve day and we'd go look for a tree. So all the kids would get out and one of the uncles would take us and we'd cross the creek, go up to the foot of the mountain. We'd find us a good pine tree or a good-looking cedar. And we'd cut it down. We'd drag it back to the house. We didn't have one of those store-made things you stuck it in. You know, two 2 before it's crossways at the bottom. You know, stood it up. If it didn't stay up, you took some string and stuck it over the wall and drove a nail in the wall. Because it's all just... It was just tongue and groove, wood siding. It wasn't for show. It was just wood. There was no sheetrock. Nobody had sheetrock. It was just wood. And so we'd do that, and then we'd decorate it. Now, we didn't have any lights. There's no such thing as electric lights. We'd go pop popcorn. We'd pop popcorn, and all the women would sit there with pop popcorn, and they'd take a needle and thread, and they would string it through the kernels of the pop popcorn. You'd make long strings of pop popcorn and hang it around that tree. And then we get red and uh, green construction paper, if you got early at Nicholson's before they got sold out, and you cut it in strips, you make little, you make just hooks out of it. You make this long hook of red and green, red and green, and hang that around the tree. Then you'd spend as much time before it got dark as you could. You'd find bird's nests, pine cones, you know, and just all kinds of weird stuff. And, And you'd hang it all over the tree, and that's how you decorate it. And we would do that and decorate that tree up. And then all my aunts would always make homemade fruitcake. Now I know there's some stuff in there you probably shouldn't have eaten. Because, buddy, it had a wang to it. You felt good after you ate that fruitcake. And so we'd always have homemade fruitcake. And, uh, man, it smells so good. And somebody would always have a ham cooking. And we'd sit there in that big living room. And then somebody would get on that pump organ. It's a pump. No electric pump. And they'd play Christmas music. And we would sing hymns. And we'd always sing about Bethlehem, and I was always fascinated. Here we are, Christmas Eve, Grandpa's house. We've got a tree. We've decorated the popcorn. We're singing about Bethlehem. Now you know in Turtletown, you have no idea where Bethlehem is. Yeah, that's a long way from here. But there was a star, and three wise men. You know all the songs. Of it. it's, it's nothing's correct biblically, but it sounded good. But you'd listen to it, and then somebody would always read a Bible story and read about the birth of Jesus out of Luton. And, and then I remember sometimes because there was no television. Can you imagine? Not only is there no cable, there's no TV. All we had was record players with, you know, the big albums that you'd put on there. Scratching. It. It's just part of it. It didn't scratch, it didn't sound right. And you'd put on some music, and people would talk, and we'd sit up sometimes at 2 and 3 in the morning. One of the greatest Christmases, one of my last, when I was 13, it became a big snow Christmas Eve after we put the tree up. And we, we went sledding down through the Apple orchard behind the house at about 3 in the morning. Moon came out, full moon, snow. It was like something out of a postcard. We thought we were having the time of our lives. No electricity, <laughs> no television. We didn't know. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. But I remember what one night we were there so late, and they began to read stories out of the Bible. And it was stories, anything I had to do with Bethlehem. And I have three of those stories just real short I want to read to you tonight. Because I don't care what story you read in the Bible, the people that you read about in the Bible had to believe God. And all these stories are written for our example. There will never be a day of your life you get up and not get to believe God for something. You will always get to believe God for something. It's what believers do. We believe God. I'm going to start with the first one because this has to do with Bethlehem. It's out of the book of Ruth. It's here in the first chapter. <clears throat> I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Just listen to this. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came up on the land. So a man from Bethlehem, everybody say Bethlehem. This is my Christmas Eve stories I used to hear. I thought, what's this got to do with anything? Well, it's before we had the Santa Claus movies on TV and Silent Night, Holy Night, White Christmas, and being crossed. we would read stories from the Bible. It said, in Bethlehem, in Judah, he left his home and went to live in a country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian, and uh, they were Ephraites from Bethlehem, the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech like, died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named o- Orpah, not Oprah, but it looks like Oprah. Orpah. And the other named a, a married a woman named Ruth. But then, about 10 years later, both Melon and Killian died. And that left Naomi alone with her two sons, or without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard that in Moab, that the Lord had blessed his people back in Judah, giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to their homeland, going back to Bethlehem. And the two daughters-in-law set out from the place where they had been living, and uh, they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi turned around and said to the two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with a with." the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and cried. No, they said, we want to go with you, to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you want to go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who can grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and they were able to get married again and bear sons. Then what? Would you wait for them to grow up? <laughs> they will make a movie out of this. Nobody go watch it, I guess. And refuse to marry someone else. No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more better for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. The reason I want to read that is because Naomi thought God had been bad to her. She knows the God of Israel, but the land's been cursed. You know, the Israel had been in rebellion. She doesn't tell you that. You've got to read other books to realize they've been in rebellion. God had left them. The famine had showed up. Somebody's repented. Famine's over. We're coming back. Ignorance is a horrible thing. Ignorance is a horrible thing. And so she thinks God's done this. Verse 15, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw Ruth was determined to go, she simply said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. And then they came to Bethlehem. The entire town was excited to see them at their arrival. Is this really Naomi? The woman asked and went on. Then in chapter 2, it picks up the story of Boaz. Everybody wants to, if you're a woman, everybody wants to find a Boaz. He's a good guy. Verse 1 of Ruth 2. Now there was a wealthy man. Everybody say wealthy. Well, one translation in, I think, the Berkeley says filthy, stinking rich. Everybody understands that. Who was it? Wait, I don't know, but he's filthy, stinking rich. He's loaded. There was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. It was a relative of Naomi, uh, uh, named uh, her husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth, uh, the Moabite, said to Naomi, you know, we're going to have to go get a job. We've got to do something here. She left, said, let me go into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Then we replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went to gain uh, Gathered grain behind the harvesters. As it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. And the Lord said, uh, said, the Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvester said. You know, there's a great country song called Take This Job and Shove, but I ain't working here no more. We used to sing that when I worked at Triangle Wire and Cable in Chattanooga, and then they laid all of us off. And I realized that's a stupid song to sing. Just a thought. Boaz has to be a great employer because when he wrote up, he said, bless all of you. And they said, well, take this job. No, they said, well, bless you back. So he must not only be wealthy and influential, he must have been a really good boss. And said, so then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Uh, who does she belong to? Now, so we know he's wealthy. He's godly. He's influential. And he's not blind. He saw the new woman. That must be a good looking woman. Who's a new, new good looking woman over there? And Boaz asked his foreman, who is that over there? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, uh, except for a few minutes of rest in the shelter. Boaz went over to Ruth and said, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting. And then follow them. I have warned young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. Well, what have I done to deserve this kindness? She said, I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know where Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of, her of, your, of uh, your husband. In other words, I heard you love your mother-in-law. Now, I don't have time to go through all the civil law in Deuteronomy. But people who took care, if your parents... My job is to take care of my parents. My daddy dies, I'm going to take care of my mother. My mother dies, I'm going to take care of my daddy. It is my job. Parents live for the children. Children live for the parents. That's my job. It is a righteous thing to take care of, the, of your elders. So he knows up. This woman has character. She's gleaning, She's poor. That's why she's glinting. But she's not only glinting for herself. She's glinting for her mother-in-law. Most people hate their mother-in-law. You know, that thing's new. This woman is working for a mother-in-law. This must be one really. No, she's good-looking, hard-working. This must be one good woman. He said, I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope to continue to please you, sir, she replied. She comforted him by speaking to him kindly, even though I'm not one of your workers. Now, to paraphrase this, she goes back. She tells Naomi what happened. I met the kindest man today. He's really good looking, filthy, stinking rich. He treated me kindly. He told me to come back and glean. He said, if any of the men mess with me, he's going to bust them in the mouth. Tell me how to get good free water when I need it. You know, he bragged about me. Really, what's his name? And when she told Naomi his name was Boaz, Naomi said, that's your kinsman redeemer. He's related to my husband by civil law. By civil law, he can marry you and buy your dead husband's property back and raise up children for you. He said, you're kidding me. He said, no. Well, long story short, it's just five chapters. Boaz is working hard. It's harvesting time. He worked hard to sundown. He falls asleep. Feet are sticking out from under the covers. It's a cool night. All of a sudden, Ruth comes sneaking into the barn there where he's been working, comes up to the bottom of it and lays her hands, her, her cold hands, I'm assuming, on his feet. Woo. And when she lays her hands on his feet, he sits straight up in bed. Woo. and said, who are you? And he said, well, she said, I'm, I'm Ruth. Remember, I'm Ruth. And she said out of her mouth, you're supposed to marry me. She didn't go into a long conversation. She woke him straight up out of a dead sleep and said, You're supposed to marry me. And he explained the situation with Naomi and so forth. And he said, Well, you're right, but there's somebody else in front. And so I'll have to give him the first shot. She said, Well, let's go do it. So they went and saw the elders. The other guy comes up and said, Hey, I'm thinking about marrying this woman. You know, it's my job, part of the family deal. She's not too bad looking. She's a hard worker. I mean, I'm kind of leaning into this thing. But by law, I'm supposed to do it. But you have first right. You want to marry? And he's thinking about doing it until he finds out in order to marry her, he has to liquidate all of his own property. In other words, Boaz will have to sell all of his land and his stock and stuff to buy back her husband's stuff. That's what a kinsman redeemer does. When Jesus went to the cross, he bought me everything there's no way I could have got. Nothing I deserved, nothing I earned, but he bought me my entire life back for my prosperity, my healing, my sanity, my salvation, my peace, my joy. Everything I need, he bought for me on the cross. Do you understand that? I didn't earn it. He just bought it for me. He gave up his life to get me one. We still don't have that full revelation. I do not believe sometimes. So he realized this is a type of Christ. And so he said, okay, well, we get there. And the guy realized, well, I don't want to sell my property. I don't love her that much. He said, well, if you don't, then I got the shot at it. And so they got married. Boaz marries Ruth. They're at the wedding. I'm going to jump over here and, uh, oh, let's see. I'm going to start reading here in uh, chapter 4. I'm just going to jump in at verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders uh, and the crowd standing around, You are witnesses here today that have uh, bought from uh, or brought from Naomi all the uh, property of uh, Elimelech, Killian, and Malon. All of them. He bought the whole thing back. He was filthy, stinking rich, bought back three men's property. With the land that I have acquired, Ruth, the mobile widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing around gathered. We are your witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephath Ephath, and be famous in Bethlehem. Now, the King James simply says, may the Lord make you famous at the wedding, at the wedding. When they got married, they came and said, may the Lord make you famous. I've been to a lot of weddings. I've never heard that said at any wedding. God bless you. Have a good honeymoon. We'll see you later. i never heard. Well, we're going to gather, lay hands, on and we're going to pray. May God make you famous. Well, God did make her famous because they get married. They have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David. David, King David, you know, who whips Goliath, becomes the king. All kings are measured against throughout all the time. So God took a tree stump worshiping woman, a Moabitess. Who found a godly woman who's half mad at God to begin with. God's dealt me a bad deal. My husband's dead. Blah, 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 blah. And I believe this. Now, you have to interpret this for yourself. But I believe Ruth looked at Naomi and said, if you think your God's bad, try my tree stump God. Trust me, you got a good God. Your God's going to be my God. You can have my tree stump God if you want. But I'll take your God. Because he's been a whole lot better than my tree stump God's been to me. And so the Lord makes her famous. And all of a sudden here in Bethlehem, silent night, holy night, wise men. Kings, the star, all the stuff that happened. Stuff's been going on Bethlehem for a long time. Now, if you go to Jerusalem, you get up on the upside of Jerusalem, you can look down on Bethlehem. It's right there. Four and a half miles as the crows fly, crow flies, and it doesn't look that far. It's just right there. Where's Bethlehem? Right there. You can see, it's right there. And it's just right like you could throw a rock and hit it. It's that close. And so, all of a sudden, here we are at the center of the universe, Jerusalem, where Jesus is ruling reign for a thousand years. And right there, he's, where's he born? Right there in Bethlehem. This little bitty town right here on this hillside. Well, stuff's been going on there for a long time. There's been a lot of angelic activity. Well, here's a woman. All she did was decide, look, my husband's dead. I'm broke. I have no inheritance. I don't have no kids. I'm going to have to work for my mother-in-law, take care of hers by well myself. But she seemed to have a good attitude doing it. But she realized something. I'll tell you right now, your God's going to be my God. I don't, may not know what all that means, but it's better than what I've got. Your God's going to be my God. Where you go, I'm going to go. And her determination, got there, and then when she finds out that there are promises available to her, she went and grabbed that man by the feet, and she put a demand on him. It is your job to marry me. Not do you love me? You think we could be happy together? You think we could get along with one another? What do you think? It's your job to marry me, Hoss. And he didn't. Well, dear God, I don't want to marry. You. I don't know you that well. I already got me a girlfriend. I got other women. I don't know. Well, I don't know what. I don't think I want to. Do. I don't want to throw that. He just said, you know, well, you're right. Dear God, I guess you're right. That's true. But somebody else is lying in front of him. And it wasn't like a whole lot of emotional stupidity. I hope you're getting this. If you don't put a demand on God, nothing's going to happen. If you don't put a demand on God, nothing happens. Where's God at looking at you? God watches over his word performing. Are you giving him any word? Are you just gropping, complaining, moaning, crying, slobbering? It's not running out of your nose. What are you doing? I've been there. Thank God, can't you see what's going on Jesus? Yes, he does, but unless I give him faith, he can't move. It's not legal. It's not legal without faith. Do you understand? Now look at this. 2 Samuel, look at it. So we have this great grandson named David. My goodness, yeah, it's a boy named David. Go over here to 2 Samuel chapter 5. We'll pick this up again, right here at Bethlehem. The great grandson comes along. Second, Samuel chapter five, verse one. So that all the tribes of Israel went to David and Hebron, and told him, we are your own flesh and blood in the past. When Saul was our king, you were the one who is really, who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people. Israel, you'll be Israel's leader. So there, at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the people of Israel. And they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned for 40 years and all reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months. And from Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David saying, you will never get in here. Even the blind and the lame can keep you out for the Jebusites thought they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David, Jerusalem. On the day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. And this is the gift. This is what the origin of the saying is that the blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home and he called it the city of David. He extended the city starting at at the supporting terraces, working inward. And David became more and more powerful for the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Now, the point of this story is this, simply, there were 31 cities they took in the promised land. Remember, God told Joshua, cross the river, take the promised land, land of milk and honey. I tried to give to Abraham. He ran off to Egypt, tried to give to Isaac, he ran off to Egypt, quit running, please stay here. Be strong in the Lord and the power is might. Go over here tomorrow and whip those giants and take this land I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to give you something. I'm, now what? I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to give you something, but you have to take it. I'm trying to give you something, but you have to take it. I'm trying to give you something, but you have to take it. I'm trying to give you something, but you have to take it. I'm trying to give you something, but you have to take it. I, if you don't take it, it does me no good to try to give it to you. I've been trying to give this land to your family for hundreds of years. I can't find a man with enough hair on his lip to take it. Please take this land. Thank God Joshua did. Well, they're going to begin to take the land. you know all the stories. Of some things went great. Some things didn't go so good. AI, 13,000 people, 13, people died. You know, Jericho, the walls fell down. There's a lot of stuff beginning to happen as they're starting to trust God. Well, now we come all the way down to here. And David, the last city to be taken, the last city in the promised land, the last city to be taken was Jabus. The Jabus, Hebus, Hebus in Hebrew is Jerusalem. Now, the devil held on to that city last. They took all 30 cities except that one. And that's the one where Jesus is going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this planet. And the devil knows that. The devil knows that, so he held on to it. Last, it's a real high wall. It's a desert place. Nobody wanted it, so, so they held on. He held on to it last. And so David comes. He's trying to give him an opportunity to surrender. Hey, I don't have to come here and Kill all of y'all. Surrender and give me the city. God's told me this is the new headquarters of of Israel, Jerusalem, Jabes, not Hebron. They won't surrender, but God showed them how to do it. God didn't do it for him. God showed him how to do it. God didn't do it for him. God showed him how to do it. He's trying to give you something. But you got to take it. He's trying to give you something. But you got to take it. He didn't do it for him. He told him how to do it. He didn't, he showed him how to do it, but he didn't do it for him. Are you getting any of this? Christians that do well in life go get something. They don't wait on it to show up. You got to get aggressive and go get what God's promised you. I Honestly, where God is sitting on the throne. Angels are flapping wings. They're singing songs. We're down here. If we get God down here, we have to get him down here by faith. So all of a sudden he finally takes, takes Jerusalem. So he gets in there and he's finally in the will of God. After all these years, promised land, promised land, promised land, promised land. Finally, Joshua crossed the river, promised land, promised land. Whip him, whip him, whip him, whip him, whip him, whip him, whip him. Woo, he finally whipped everybody. We are now in the middle of God's will. Kumbaya, Shonda, Hikimo, who stole him a Honda. Well, at that point, verse 17, when the Philistines, who are top of the devil, by the way, heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, Mm. they mobilized all their forces to capture him but david was told they were coming so he went into the stronghold. the philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Raphim, and david asked the lord proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 acknowledge the lord in all your ways and he will direct your paths acknowledge the lord in all your ways and he'll direct your paths commit your works to the lord he'll establish your thoughts commit your works of the lord he'll establish your thoughts Proverbs 16 verse 9 and 10 if you don't pray if you don't talk to god he won't tell you what to do Oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I've been there, man. It's a father. It's a husband. What are we going to do, Daddy? What are we going to do, honey? Dear God, I don't know. It's bad, isn't it? Dear God, I'm I'm scared. Let's all get scared. Get me some Kleenex. Let's all cry. Let's run home to Mama. You don't need to run home to Mama. I'll run home to my Mama. I'd rather go home to my Mama than you go home to yours. Because then somebody will cut for me. That was a long time ago, but it was an interesting fight. My wife ran home to her daddy. God bless him. God bless him. We we'd been married three years. We hate each other's guts at three. Years. She ran home to him, pulled out of my driveway, Middle Valley Road, down in Chattanooga, tore off to home. I'm going. I oh, got. I hope you go and stay. You know, it was there's a lot of love exchanged that day. She got home and cried, and you know, her daddy could whip me. He's a he's a hoss. And she got to the door, and he said, "What are you doing here? I'm leaving. You. I'm leaving him." Whoa, wait a minute. He said, no, I gave you away. I'm not making this up. He didn't let her in the house. You go back and take care of that. Husband. You don't live here anymore. And shut the door on. her. <laughs> she came back. It was ugly, but she came back. It worked out. It worked out. So, so David asked the Lord, shall I go out and fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord replied to David. Yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went out to Baal Perizim and defeated the Philistines there. The, the Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named the place Baal Perizim, which means the Lord burst through. And <laughs> I like that. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David's men confiscated them. Well, he goes back and gets in the middle of God's will again. I'm in God's will. It took hundreds of years. I'm where I'm supposed to be, king of Israel, with the giant. Whipped the bear, whipped the lion, overcame a lot of stuff. I'm finally here. We took the lamb like we were told. I'm in God's perfect will. And here comes the devil. When I first went into the ministry, I went to my pastor's office. First day I've ever worked for a ministry. i worked in business all my life. First day at a church staff. First day. My pastor calls me in. I love my pastor, man. Church is growing, things are going on. He said, Joe, come in, sit down. My first day. He said, get out a pen and paper. I'm going to give you something you need to remember now. Ministry is different than a regular workplace. So there's only two times the devil will mess with you. I need you to write this down, Joe. You're writing it? Yes, sir, I'm writing I'm writing There's only two times the devil will mess with you. Number one is when you are out of the will of God. You ever get out of the will of God, the devil's gonna tear you up. Write that down. You ever get out of God's will, the devil's gonna tear you up. Yes, sir. I'm gonna remember that I'm writing it down. Number two, the only other time the devil messes with you is when you're in the will of God. When you're in the will of God, he's gonna mess with you. When you're out of the will of God, he's gonna mess with you. I got about halfway through that and I looked up and he wasn't smiling. I said, Are you joking? He said, No, I'm serious. Then finally he bust out laughing. I'm telling you the truth. There's only two times the devil will mess with you. When you're in the will of God and when you're out of the will of God, that's the only time he'll bother you. <laughs> it was a depressing moment. <laughs> the test and trials of life come to everybody, Luke six forty six. That's where I got that sermon. After a while, the Philistines returned. Philistines were top of the devil. I don't care how many times you whip the Philistines, they showed back up. Whip them, they'd show back up. Whip them, they'd show back up. With them they're top of the devil. Until he goes to the bottomless pit, he's going to show back up. You've got to stay vigilant. Be vigilant. You're to of the devil. Stay vigilant. You're to say the devil. Stay vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Stay alert. He'll try to take you out. Keep your eye open. Don't go to sleep on me. God said, I'll show you things to come. I'll order your steps, direct your paths. God's all truth. Talk to him when you go to sleep. Don't be afraid. But I do need you to get obedient when I talk to you. Everybody in the Bible that God dealt with, he had him do something. There was never, it's just going to magically happen. Ruth, I'm going to bless you, but you're going to have to go with Naomi. You have to go grab that guy by the feet and wake him up. You're going to have to tell him it's his job to marry you. You're going to have to do some stuff. And I'm going to bless you. You're going to have some kids and some kids, and you're going to have a king. It's going to be incredible. You're going to be famous. And then David, when David became king, David's not trying to become king. He just wants to deliver some cheese sandwiches. He just wants to, there's no MTV. There's no cable. Let's go watch the fight he wasn't going he didn't go there to whip nothing then i got some chance to go watch a fight and all of a sudden he realized this fight's not going good it's a bad channel he said what's going on here i'm whipping this guy well you want to whip him 10 foot tall six fingers six toes bad breath you go down there and whip him and david's thinking well he's not one of us he's uncircumcised philistine i'll whip him let me go whip him his brothers made fun of him. the children from hell come out of the woodwork you better go home to your daddy, you stupid, no good, nobody. You're just down there showing off. I'll whip him. Get me, some. I'll go. You know the story? Because course, Saul tried to dress him up in He said, no, I don't use this stuff. Just give him my sling. And you know, David yelled at him all the way down the hillside. I love teenagers. They get real mouthy. David wasn't afraid. He said, this thing doesn't belong to God. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's not even human. He's going to hell. He's not even human. He's dead. Somebody throw a rock at him. He's dead. I mean, David was fully confident because what he knew what God's word said about the people of God and those that weren't the people of God, he knew the promises. That's why he's bold. He's not just an arrogant. He knows that he's an uncircumcised. He's declaring covenant facts. He don't belong to God. He'll never belong to God. Somebody sling something at him. And so on the way down the hill, he's telling why he's slinging that rock. I'm going to take your head off, feed you to the buzzards. I love you just mouthing all the way down the hill. And Goliath is so stunned by this little chihuahua teenager coming at him, mouthing at him. He turns around to the guy carrying his spear. Who is this chihuahua dog? And when he turned back around, the rock was already in there, and it hit him out to an eyeball. Then he fell over dead. So David didn't have a sword. He just had a sling. So he took Goliath's sword out of his sheath. It had to be really big, you know, and chopped Goliath's head off because they didn't have trophy shops back then. And he carried that thing home, set it on his dresser. Mom, look what I won today. I won this. (laughs) And by that night, by that night, all the good-looking women were ripping Saul's posters off the bedroom wall and putting up David's. They wanted to suck the lips off David's face. They were singing songs on the radio about David day before sundown. Saul might have killed his thousands. David's killed his 10,000. David wasn't trying to get famous. He just realized this isn't right. This is not right that the people of God are being embarrassed. Now I'm not going to read it all to you, but David was upset that the people of God are being embarrassed by somebody that didn't belong to God. That's wrong. Is there not a cause? That's where that statement comes from. Is there not a cause? This isn't right. God God will use somebody, somebody stand up and do something. But somebody had to get aggressive. You have not because you ask not. You get nothing, you don't do nothing. Faith that works is dead. All this kid's going to do is sling a rock. God did it. The, every time David whips him, when he whips Phil, well, God did it. God did it. God did it. Now, I got to sling my sword, sling a rock, but God did it. God uses me to do stuff. And that's where I want you to go with this. Then it says this, after a while, the Philistines returned again, spread out across the valley of Raphim. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. Now, here's the thing. I would have made a mistake probably. I've already whipped this thing once. God told me what to do. Go whip him. I probably wouldn't even pray i I just go do it again. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. He'll direct your paths. God, they're back. What are we going to do this time? I mean, he even asked. I mean, he didn't just go do it. We we did something different. Look what he said. What do we do? He said, Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack near the poplar trees. When you hear the sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be a signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way to Gibbon, to gezer So this time we're going to come up from behind. When you hear the leaves rustle, that's me going ahead. You follow that noise in. That's my angels going in front of you, and you go whip him. David still had to do something, but he did it by the word of God. He wasn't just hanging out there in the wind. What are you doing? God told me what to do. God's with me. He's made the leaves rustle. I was sharing with a guy in the lobby after the first service this morning. When, when Gibeon, Gibbon, he's afraid. And God's telling him to go whip the enemy. You know, he went to the thing and got his men all ran away because they were afraid. And he's down to 300. And he's sitting there thinking about whipping the enemy. And the angel shows up. Now, God sent an angel to ask you. He said, you afraid? And he's honest. Yeah, I'm afraid. You got 300 and me, and a few thousand of them. Yeah, this is kind of stupid. And I said, "We well, God figured you're afraid. So come with me. I'll show you something. So he takes it down the hillside outside of a tent of the enemy. And he listens to the conversation between the men in the tent, the people that he's up against. And the men are afraid because they believe that God's with this guy. And so God didn't whip the enemy for him. He just encouraged them that you're going to whip them. I still need you to fight. I'm going to tell you how to fight. You still got to do it, but I'm going to let you know you've got victory. When you read the word of God, you've got victory. You will live and not die. I don't care what the doctor said. You will be the head, not the tail. I don't care what the accountant told you. You're going to prosper. You're not going to go broke. I need this. I need an encouraging word, God. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm in trouble. Well, I will deliver you from trouble. I'll make you look good. That's what we try to do this morning. This is our life right here. But if we don't get in it, we don't have much of a lie. We're talking stupidity. Oh God, what are we going to do? Dear God, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to afford this? How are we going to get out of this? Then you go to church, hear a good sermon and cry. Oh God, that's your oh, Thank you, dear oh God. Oh, God well, he won't if you don't use your faith. Faith comes by hearing him by the word of God. Then let's go to the last one, Luke 1. Going back to Bethlehem again. Luke 1, I like this. I call this Big Hairy Prayers. Big Hairy Prayers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke 1. Great, great story. This is where most of us are sometimes. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to jump in here. uh, Verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and this is all three of these are stories I used to hear at Christmas time at my uncle's farm in Turtle Town. Because I had something to do with Bethlehem, they thought it was a holy thing to do. So I remember when I heard the story. Priest named Zachariah. He he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, get this sentence. Get this now. They were righteous in God's eyes. Careful to obey all. Everybody say all. All the Lord's commandments and regulations. But they didn't have any kids. Were they blaming God? Dear God, bless somebody else. Ain't no crying here. They're doing right, just some, something's not happening. You ever been there where you thought, I'm doing everything right, why is it not happening? I'm doing everything right, why is it not happening? We've all been there. Well, what? A, there's other people living horrible life, God's blessing them. No, they're no, 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 and they might be using a gift. Don't, don't confuse this, now watch this. Unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, where his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest. He was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord. To burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Because if he messes up, he drops dead. They used to tie a rope around your ankle. So if you drop dead, they could drag you out because nobody could come get you. This is a serious stuff. You better be right with God. And you walk in there, you come out of there dead. So he's in there, and they're outside praying. While Zachariah was in the sanctuary, waving the incense, rope tied around his ankle. So if he falls over, they can drag him out. It's a real exciting job. <laughs> can you imagine going to work every day? What is that? It's a rope. In case I drop dead here, they can drag me out of here. Help me, Jesus. When Zachariah was in the sanctuary, the angel, angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. Zachariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Every time an angel showed up, he said, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. The devil's trying to put fear in God's time to tell you, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It says this. It says, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. The thing is, you don't know what he's been praying. This is Luke 1. Man, this old man's been praying. The Lord's heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And you will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his birth. And... He will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, you understand? Now, hey, you're going to have a baby. That's exciting. then all of a sudden, you get a mouthful of all that. He's not just going to be any kind of baby. It's going to be a kumbaya baby. Woo, kumbaya. Everybody's going to want to have this baby. You might not have had one, but we've saved the best for last, buddy. We're about to make you famous. Zechariah here in this great word because he's been praying for it. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also willing along long in years. Now, he's been praying. You ever done that? Been praying. All of a sudden it show up and you think, my God, it happened. <laughs> I mean, I've done it. You've not ever done it? Praying and praying. Oh, dear God. Dear God, that happened. <laughs> yeah. Good thing I prayed. I don't know if I was believing much, but God must have some little something, done something with it. So he said this. Then the angel said, and "They got mad." The angel got mad at what he said. He's come from God. I just came. He said, I wish i could give you the emphasis behind it." I've got to be calmer, kids in here. Then the angel said, "I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was He who sent me to bring you this good news." But now, watch this, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak till the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So he just shut his mouth up. You know, your mouth can kill your faith. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. James says, when you're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, don't expect to receive anything from God. Let the redeemed Lord say so. That's why you've got to get the word in your deep so you continue to say what God says. Having done all the stand, stand, keep thanking God for what he's promised. I don't care what report I just heard. When my baby was dying of spinal meningitis, I didn't even know what spinal meningitis was. I never heard of it. I'm in church preaching on Sunday morning. And my wife calls. She's in the emergency room, City of Faith. And my doctor, who's spirit filled, all over there, he said, your baby's dying. My 18-month-old baby girl that's never done anything wrong that I know of is dying can't be dying i just left her home an hour ago playing my wife was coming to church with her in the meantime she just passed out fever ran up high went unconscious so they got her in there and they said i need to do a spinal tap i don't even know what a spinal tap is and i gotta draw fluid off her spine and they got this horse syringe they stick in your spine to draw fluid off so he comes back out and it's real cloudy i don't know what i'm looking at he said yep so we got advanced state of spinal meningitis i'm just gonna be honest with you Joe. So right now i give her a 50 50 chance of living Look, I was just in church preaching about Jesus. I was ministering to boys and girls. We had 732 kids and children's ministry that morning. We were given the altar call. I'm leading kids to Jesus. I'm leading kids to Jesus. It's my calling. I've quit my job, gave away my car, sold my house, to go to the ministry to be a blessing to people. And I'm in the middle of doing what God called me to do. And you tell me my baby's dying while I'm in church, preaching about Jesus, and you tell me my baby's dying? What kind of stinking God is this? You ever have any thoughts like that? Because if you're not in the word, you all of a sudden think, God, what are you doing? I not doing nothing. He's a good. God sitting on the throne, laser light show, angels flapping wings. He's not changed nothing. The devil's a liar, John 8, 44. He has one weapon. He lies. Whose report will you believe? We love to sing it because you got to believe it. Whose report will you believe? Well, now this report says my baby's dying. God said your baby will live and not die. With long life will I satisfy you and show him my salvation. Thank God for the local church. When I couldn't spell faith, we called the church to pray. I don't know who prayed. It's a big church, three thousand people. I don't know who was on staff that morning to pray. I need prayer. My baby's dying. I need somebody to pray. My baby's dying. And I remember sitting there in the emergency, room, and a doc came back out and he said, "Joe, we're going to run her up to ICU." I said, "You wait here in the waiting room," and they sent in a little prayer partner. These retired people that live there in the retirement community at Orops University, and they they volunteer by praying for people in the hospital. So, this little wire prayer partner came in. We're in the emergency room. We're the only ones in there that morning. Honey, what are you here for? Talk to my wife. Well, are my babies spinal meningitis dying inside of you? Here, well, let me pray for her. I don't want her to pray for me. I want you to shut up. And leave me alone. I'm trying to figure out what went wrong. I'm a male. What did I do wrong? Did I leave a door open? Did I sin? Do I need to repent? Do I need to bleed the blood? What's going on? My mind's running 90 miles an hour. All I can see is my baby dead, lying in a casket, going to a funeral. My wife crying, digging a hole in the ground, and buried. It. It's like, you know how the devil messes with your mind, he'll show you pictures. This little lady prayed, and I don't even know what she prayed. I didn't want her to pray. Shut up and leave me alone, little lady. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. But I was nice. I kept my mouth shut and closed my eyes, and she prayed. And when she left, I've told this story several times, but when she left, I looked over at my wife. My wife has her eyes closed her arms out, and she's spinning around in a circle, just spinning around. She's never spun before. She's not spun since. (laughs) And she just spun slowly around and around for about two minutes. It's like. I just sit down in the chair and at it. And I remember thinking this thought. I sit in that chair and I thought, my daddy's right. I'm in a cult. I'm not saved. My baby's dying. My wife's going crazy. I'm probably going to hell. I'm in a cult. Because the devil, when he gets you, he doesn't back off. He presses in. Do you understand? It gets nasty until you start getting the word of God out of your mouth. It'll get ugly in a hurry. So all of a sudden, you know, she stopped spinning, sat down, and stared at me like nothing was wrong, and it was all normal. I said, are you okay? And she just said, yeah, why? I don't know. It was a spinning thing. I... <laughs> and it was like she wasn't even conscious of it. I came and got us, went up to ICU. i told the story before. They asked the doctor, uh, asked for another spinal tap. I had to sign another form. I said, please don't stick that knee to my baby. And then he comes back an hour later. I said, Joe, we're not sure what's going on. I can see my baby through the glass window. They've got her on a cooling blanket because her body temperature's up. She's unconscious. they got a tube down her nose, one in her arm, one in her head. 18 months, 18 months old. And I'm looking at my baby in there, and all of a sudden the doc came back and said, Joe, I'm not sure what's going on, but said, this is the fluid we just drove off her spine. He said, it is perfectly clear. There is no medical sign of spinal meningitis. She has the physical symptoms. She's running a fever. She's unconscious. There is no medical sign of spinal meningitis. He's a spiritual doctor. Does mission work in Russia today. Dr. got is a great doctor. But he said, I'm not sure what's going on, Joe. Just keep praying. And so she regained conscience later that evening. We stayed in the room, played nothing but praise and worship for 10 days next to her. But the devil never stops with one thing. He's Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Boom, 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 boom. He, he catches you at a weak spot. He'll come at you. If you don't get back up, he'll stomp on your head. He won't feel sorry and run away. You've got to get up and start declaring what God says. Thank God the church was praying. Now I prayed the best I could. I went down that chapel, but it wasn't much of a prayer. I'll be honest with you. I'm proud to pray. I'm just praying in the Holy Ghost. Can't think of anything good in English. I don't know what the f- my mind's just nowhere good. And then what am I going to do? What's going to happen? I don't understand. What did I open up? Did I do something? My mind's just running crazy. So three days later, I come and say, "Well, she's she's going to live, but she's going to be mentally retarded because it's a pretty severe case. We're going to get some special education. We'll get you signed up from some schools. We're going to give you a couple of classes here tomorrow evening before you get out of the hospital." And so I went ahead and I just let them talk to me. I just sit there and look, you know. Didn't agree with nothing, but I'm listening. I'm being cordial. You know, I remember thinking, no, my baby's got the mind of Christ. You can't be crazy if you've got the mind of Christ. My baby's got the mind of Christ. Well, they came back two days later. Well, she's not mentally retarded. Believe it or not, she's normal. You know, believe it. But she's deaf. She's totally deaf in both of her ears. So we're going to fit her for some special hearing aids before she leaves. And we'll get you a special school we can get her into. I thought, no, my baby has the ear of the learned. That's all I'd say. My baby has the ear of the learned. And I don't feel it. I don't feel nothing. I don't feel no anointing. I don't feel no move. I don't feel no goosey bump. I, feel so. I don't feel nothing. I'm tired. I need to shower. I need to shave. I got bad breath. And I'm half mad. But I said what God said. My baby's got it. Two days later, they come back. One day before the other out, and said, well, you're not going to believe this. Hearing's perfect. Her hearing's perfect. We're going to keep her one. They kept her in ICU for 10 days trying to find something wrong. 10 days later, we walked out. She works for me today. Got a journalism major, writes for a Christian woman today. This is the thing for PBS. She can hear me whisper upstairs. I'm trying to tell you something. As we start this year, it'd be a good time to start reading your Bible. The Word of God puts faith in you. Faith whips the devil. Pleases God. Psalms 1. May you have a happy, stable, prosperous year. That will come one way only by meditating. Day and night, the word of God. Every man and woman from Genesis to Revelation had to believe God for something. I don't care how famous you were, all of them had to believe God. When that baby was born, Zachariah, they were going to name him John. You know, it was an incredible story. I remember, I look at this. What he prayed? He prayed the greatest thing any father has ever prayed over a child. When that baby popped out, because you know, he's, God shut his mouth because your mouth can negate faith. You got to watch what you say. He kept his mouth shut and said over here. And uh, I'll just jump in and show it right here, uh, verse fifty-seven. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and her relatives heard what the Lord had been uh, doing, done for her, had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What they exclaimed, exclaimed, there is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, Zechariah wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Not griping, they'd been quiet. He was so thankful God shut his mouth for nine months, so so his unbelief didn't negate the faith he'd used up to that point. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There's sin in a multitude of words. Guard your heart with all diligence, rather than the issues of life. Let's start filling the word of God, so where our mouth will start saying right stuff. If something nasty comes, we hear bad news. Let's say what God says, not what we feel, not what we think. No, I'm the redeemed Lord. I'm going to say what God says about this. I'm going to use the word of God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood, and news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on the events and asked, "What will the child turn out to be?" For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, gave this prophecy Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. And now we will be saved from our enemies, from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant and the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor, Abraham is that we have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son will be called a prophet of the most high. My God, you could cry if you ever let this thing sink into you because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation Through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. And John grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness. And his public ministry to Israel began. God's trying to bless us. Make us famous. He just needs us to cooperate. Best thing I can give you in my Get you a Bible. Get you a one-year Bible start reading. Read your Bible every day. If you can't do that, read a proverb a day. Just read a proverb every day. It will change your life. The Holy Ghost will use the words you read to guide you. you understand? Business decisions, relationship decisions, employee decisions, employee decisions, help decisions. The Holy Ghost, whose God is trying to bless us, but he uses this to guide us. Let's start loading up on it. Amen. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. You learn anything tonight? What an opportunity we have to believe God in 2010. Praise God. Bow your heads. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy upon us. Lord, again, I commit this year in your hands. Commit our lives in your hands. Father, I ask you for this right here, what Paul prayed in Ephesus. Would you give us this year in 2010, every man, woman, boy, and girl in this building tonight, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that we might know the hope of your calling. Let us know what our inheritance is in the saints. Strengthen us with might and I inner man by the Holy Ghost. Show us how to walk in the breadth, length, depth, and height of your love that you might do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, say this after me. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. You know, sometimes you get up in the morning, you ought to get just something out of your mouth real good. Today's the day God has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You know, if you say that, God's going to make that happen. Oh, dear God, it's Monday. i go ahead and get you some. I'd rather enjoy it. Father, I thank you today. You're going to order my steps, direct my paths, guide be all true, show me things to come. You're going to talk to me when I sit here, when I get up and I walk. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. You're going to surround me with a shield of divine favor. People like me and not even know why. I have a shield of divine protection no plague no evil come near me my dwelling nor my family you're teaching my family to fear you which is the beginning of wisdom which will bring long life riches and honor to all those of my household you start saying what god says and i guarantee you, your emotions will hook in with it you're going to have yourself one happy day one happy week let the redeemed of the lord say so so i am the redeemed of the lord say that i am the redeemed of the lord say it again and i will say so say it again i am the redeemed of the lord And I will say so. I am blessed. I believe. Give the Lord a hand clap, Pastor.